Um, I love hearing that story, the way kids look at it. Uh, if you know photography at all, um, eventually you start playing around with what are called filters. And filters are used to look at something you're seeing with visible light in just a little bit different um, perspective. And this is a blue filter uh, of a picture. And what the blue filter does when the white light comes into it with all the light of the spectrum, it blocks out everything but the blue and lets the blue through. And so what I want to do with the Christmas story this morning is take a look at it through a filter. I want to block out a lot of the details that we normally think of and, and look at some other details that um, will help us to see perhaps one of the most profound things God is asking us to learn from the Christmas story. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of great stuff in there about a God who cared for us and loved us so much that he gave his only son, about all the miraculous things that took place as to how Jesus was able to fulfill all those prophecies before he was even born. But what does it mean for you and I? And so the filter that I want to place over the story this morning is found in the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, uh, this is probably one of the two or three most popular verses in all of Scripture. We say it at funerals, we say it at weddings, we say it, uh, some of us, I pray this prayer every single day because I think it is so valuable and so much a part of God's will for our lives. The prayer goes this way, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Nobody has any problem with that. And then it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we first hear that, everybody gets on board and they're, yep, that's exactly what we want. We want his will to be done just like it is in heaven. When he says jump, we want people to jump. And then it always seems to be that we want it to fix the problems in everybody else. We want them to be made right. But what is incredible about the Christmas story as we hear it and we look at it through this filter is, is we realize that what God wants us to understand is, is, I want my will to be done in your life. And this is incredibly profound. Uh, the first thing that we find is, is that if you desire that the will of God would be done in your life, uh, that the servant of God will teach us. And somehow this has gotten messed up. I'll bet it didn't save the right one. How do you like that? Well, we'll do what we have to do to make it work. The first thing that we find is, is we're going to take a look at three different things in this story. The servant of God, the righteous man, and the inconvenient path that they had to walk down. And so the angel went to Mary and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And so Mary calls herself at the end of this little section of scripture, a servant. And here's what happened to God's servant. God greets her. And the thing that's incredibly profound about this is before the story gets done, thing, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Whenever an angel appears in Scripture, we find people are just a little bit set off in who they are. Uh, John, who had even seen the glory of God on the Mount of Transfiguration in the book of Revelation, when he had a vision of the angels, he fell down and worshipped them because they were such awesome creatures. And they reached down, picked him up, and said, John, don't worship us. We're just servants of God like you are. And don't be doing that. Mary has a vision of the angel and greatly troubled at the words of greeting. But the words were simply this. You're a highly favored one. 
But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Every one of us would like to hear God say, Hey, you're my man, my woman for the hour. You're the person. You're the one. Uh, but here's how it proceeds. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And so what we find here is, is that Mary, her life was going to be turned upside down. She says to him, how is this possibly going to be? Because I'm a virgin, I'm engaged to be married, and you're telling me I'm going to have a child? And God has said what will be conceived in you will be of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the Holy Spirit will provide this child that's going to be in your womb. And Mary's sitting there thinking, my life is about to be turned upside down. And how many of you, when you say, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, are willing to have your life turned upside down? Mary's life was about to become very uncomfortable. Um, I have loved being with my wife uh, through the years, and we've seen a lot of each other as time has gone on, but I can, I can remember being there at the birth of every one of my children, and the process leading up to it was full of discomfort and blessing, and it was, le and it was also full of discomfort when those labor pains started to hit, and our lives were turned around and turned upside down because things that we used to do before, uh, you know some of my story, I was an avid mountain climber. And what had happened with me is, is that all of my friends were starting to have kids. And as they started to have kids, they didn't want to climb the mountains anymore. I was losing partners right and left uh, all over the place. And it was harder and harder to find the people that were willing to go up and do that. Because they just didn't want to put themselves in danger anymore. And Mary's life was about to be turned upside down. And with this in mind, God's saying, I desire to use you to bring my child into the world. What does Mary say? I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Uh, here's one of the applications I want to make to this message today is, is that uh, we are at a place at our church where we're seeking to, to see if God wants us to unite with Redeeming Grace Fellowship. There are many of us that just believe that it is at the right time and the right thing and that God has opened a wide door to make this happen. But we're also realizing that it's going to mean a lot of change for Gateway Church. It's going to mean that maybe there's going to be some discomfort and maybe there's going to be some things that are wrong. How many are willing to say, I am the Lord's servant, and God, if this is your will, no matter what happens, I'm willing to walk down this path with this group of believers and make it happen for the glory of your gospel in Levittown. I am the Lord's servant, Mary said, be it to me. Then the angel left her. And God has issued his call through the years to many people, calls to go to the mission field, calls to be righteous and live in a certain way. And we have many young people that have made a commitment to Jesus Christ, but not a commitment to live the life the way God wants them to live it. As if it's too difficult in this world to make those kind of decisions and to follow the way that God has asked them to walk. But oh, if the servant who really desires to see that God's will be done would say to the Lord on any given day, I am your servant, may it be to me as you have said. We need people that walk in obedience. The second thing we find here is not just the servant, but we find the righteous man, and this is Joseph. 
And the scriptures say that he was a righteous man. How did he respond to the will of God that was being placed upon him and the path that he was asked to walk down? This is how the birth of Jesus came about in Matthew chapter 1. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now you can just imagine the conversation that Joseph and Mary had when Mary went and said, I had a visit from an angel and they said that there's a baby being born in me and this baby is going to be the, the son of God and, and Joseph's probably sitting there saying, you have lost your marbles and you expect me to buy this. This is right up there with the dog ate my homework. Um, it is just, what other thing could you possibly tell me other than that an angel came and said that this child in there was born without any sexual union of any kind but born of the Holy Spirit. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. They hadn't had the marriage ceremony yet, but Joseph was betrothed to her. And in the Hebrew culture, a betrothal was a solid agreement between two people that they would keep themselves for each other until marriage and that the bride would be just waiting for the groom to come and take her away on that wedding day. But Joseph was not seeking to do any great harm to this woman that he had pledged himself to, and he just wanted to divorce her quietly and not make a big public spectacle of it. It was embarrassing for him what had happened. It was embarrassing for Mary. He didn't want to have anything to do with it, and it was time to move on. Isn't it interesting how often we get embarrassed with God's plans for our lives and the things he's asked us to do? Jesus spent his entire life um, having people make accusations against him because he did the will of God. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The thing that's interesting about the will of God for a person's life is, is that it will always accomplish God's purposes. We know from Romans chapter 8 that it says that God works in all things together for the good of those that are called according to his purposes, those people that are his children, those people that are walking in his way. And God says that I'm going to accomplish my purposes through this. You're seeing embarrassment. You're seeing difficulty. You're seeing challenges of every kind. But she will give birth to a son, and this is going to be the result. He's going to save his people from their sins. And God wants to use you, and he wants to use me to do great things in the days ahead. But are you willing to be uncomfortable? Are you willing to be embarrassed? Are you willing to take God's will upon you and say, Be it done to me as you have said, O Lord. She will give birth to a son. And all this took place, Matthew tells us, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, one of the most beautiful promises of all Scripture, we find it in the garden, we find it in the Mosaic Covenant, we find it in the Davidic Covenant, we find it in the New Covenant in Jeremiah 31. We find it with the promise of Jesus coming to this earth, and we find it as the greatest promise of heaven God's presence with us. If I were to ask all of you to be honest with me this morning, if you felt that you've been close to God this morning, 
most of you would say, I'm not sure I can say that. Most of you would tell me, you know what, I haven't sensed the presence of God for some time. I just am not sure what it is. But one of the beautiful promises of Scripture is, as God has said, I will be with you. That's what he said to Mary. Um, he said, the Lord is with you. And that's what he said would happen with Jesus' birth, that God would be with us. His name would be Emmanuel, God with us. Um, for those of you that are wondering what heaven is going to be like, um, I've used this illustration many times, but I really want you to know and understand it. A lot of people are afraid of heaven because they've really never sensed this gift of God being with us. Um, they're afraid heaven's going to be like a church service where they're going to spend a lot of the time sitting there bored, saying, you know what, the, the, the preacher's doing an okay job, but he's really not hitting it where I need to. I, it would be good if he could just pick it up a little bit and get over it. And when I was a kid, I used to sit there with the bulletin, and I would check the things off as they went through them. Hymn one, announcements, um, choir, you know? And, and then you got down to one of the last three things, the message, and it just went on and on and on forever. And I would put a part of a check mark when he was about a halfway through. And then I put the whole check mark there when it was all the way through. And then I knew that there was just a hymn and a prayer, and we were out of there. Um, but we're afraid heaven's going to be like that, where we're going to be handed a bulletin, and then we're going to have to check off all the stuff that's going on in the worship service until it's all over. But I got news for you. When you are with God for eternity, you will know satisfaction like you can't imagine. That was the thrill of the garden. We talk about the Garden of Eden all the time. And the Garden of Eden was a place made just for man that had been created by God, and it was full of just the right vegetation, just the right animals, just the right temperature, just the right everything. And the thing that you don't remember about the story is, is God always came walking in the cool of the day to visit with Adam and Eve. That's what they looked forward to. It was when God was away from them that they fell into sin. And what you need to know is, is that the Christmas story is all about God coming to be with man. Emmanuel, God with us. And so it is that the final part of the story is we saw what Mary said. Uh, Mary said, be it done to me as it is. And so we find that Joseph took Mary to be his wife and had no relations with her until the child was born. And so now that God's will was working its way out in their life and they had acknowledged that they wanted to walk down this path, um, there are some people that would tell you, you know, God's will is just a smooth little road that you're going to walk down and everything's going to be just fine. No aches and pains, no discomfort, no embarrassment, nothing. And the first thing that we find is, is in Luke chapter 2, that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census would be taken. And each person had to report to their own hometown and, uh, while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And so Mary and Joseph, in the ninth month of her pregnancy, had to hit the road and make this trip 90 miles south from Nazareth to Bethlehem so that they could register for the census. And most of you are saying, what's the big deal about 90 miles? You know, we just hop in the car an hour and a half, we're there, no big problem. Uh, when we traveled to Israel, we got in a bus at the Sea of Galilee after we'd visited Nazareth, and we traveled down to Jerusalem, and we were there in about an hour and a half, and it was just great, you know, no problems whatsoever. This was probably a seven to nine day trip for Mary and Joseph. It was during the cold, rainy season of Israel. And it was miserable. And when you traveled, you didn't have a refrigerator to take with you or a cooler in the back of the car. 
but you took some bread and some oil, and that's all that you ate during the course of the time on the journey. It was miserable, and then on top of it all, how many of you want to do a lot of traveling when you're nine months pregnant? You want to stay close to home. You want to stay close to the place where you can get to the doctor, the midwife, or whoever else is going to be. But we find in Luke chapter 2 that they all of a sudden had to make this trip. And then no sooner do they get to Bethlehem that everybody else is trying to do the same thing and there was no room for them with any of their relatives. There was no room for them at the inn. And the innkeeper says, we can put you up in the stable. And then imagine uh, being a, a woman getting ready to give birth and here's this stinky, wet, damp stable on a cold winter's night. Uh, this is God's will working its way out in this couple. Mary, who had said, may it be done to me as you have said, and Joseph, who took her home to be his wife. And so if you're looking for an easy road, the Christian road is not necessarily easy. There have been people through the course of history and through the course of time that have paid the ultimate price. They've died because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They've given it all for him. And so here's what we find in this part of the story in Luke chapter 2. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. So inconvenient. I can imagine in the back of Joseph and Mary's mind, you know, let's make this trip down there. Hopefully we'll be able to turn around and get right back and we'll get you home before it's all over and we'll get there. But can you imagine, let's assume she was riding on a donkey. Uh, can you imagine what riding on that donkey would do to her system for those nine days of traveling, about 10 miles a day, to be able to make it? And if she walked, it would be even the same kind of a thing. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. And unfortunately, in Western society, we have this warm, fuzzy feeling about mangers. There's no stink of the cattle, and there's no slobber all over the place from the cattle drooling on this manger that they've been eating out of. But you certainly didn't want to lay this newborn baby down on the ground in this, what was most likely a cave. You didn't want to place him there, so they cleaned out a manger, put the straw in it, laid the baby in the manger, all because there was no room for them anywhere else. God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Don't think it's going to be easy. And uh, then to make matters worse, uh, they got out of the stable and into a house, and uh, wise men had seen a star in the east, and so they made their way, and uh, the wise men came to visit Mary and Joseph, and finally things were starting to turn around, and the story was going to say, you know what, this isn't so bad after all. They give them gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This myrrh was probably worth a year's wages. This uh, gold was incredibly valuable in those days, and it was given to a carpenter from the north, of, from Nazareth, and they're there thinking, so this is what it's all about. And then, lo and behold, when the wise men are gone, because of all that they'd stirred up in Jerusalem, and Herod's paranoia, and um, his killing spree of anybody who had any threat to his throne, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for your child and try to kill him. Good news, God's will, a rough road. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. Didn't even get to stay down there for a week, two weeks, or until things blew over. 
but got to stay down there long enough for Herod to die a year or two later, and then they would be able to head back home. And so what we find in the Christmas story, when you look at it through this thing, what is God's will for your life? What was God's will for Mary and Joseph? It wasn't an easy road. It was full of challenges. It was full of things, but it was the right road, and it led to the salvation of mankind. It led to freedom from sin. He will deal with the sins of mankind. Wouldn't it be awesome if we took up God's mission and did his will in this day and time, no matter what the consequences, no matter what happens in life? So he got up and took the child and he fled. The servant was willing to do God's will. The righteous man was willing to do God's will. If you lay any claim to servanthood or righteousness in the kingdom of God, are you willing to do the things that God has asked you to do? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the Lord Jesus. And Father, we do desire to do your will, but we realize that it could be a costly affair. It could be an uncomfortable affair. It could be an inconvenient affair. But Father, we see what your will has done through Jesus. And I cannot even imagine what Mary was thinking as she stood there at the foot of the cross watching her son after he had been beaten and tortured and mocked and ridiculed and then nailed to a piece of wood where he would die for something he had never done. Only beginning to understand that this is what was meant by the Father's sending of the angel, that he would bear the sins of mankind. And as she stood there with that broken heart, Jesus' concern was still only for her. That was God with us. And I pray, Father, that during this Christmas season that we would see the Christmas story not only in all of its fuzzy beauty, but in the hardship and troubles and turmoil that surrounded the birth of Jesus and realize that working out this story were two people that were committed to doing the will of God. I thank you for Mary and I thank you for Joseph. And I thank you for Jesus who was born that day who from the very moment that he was born, as he had done in eternity, determined that he would fulfill the purposes of his Father in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, I ask this morning that your will would be done. Your kingdom would come in my life and in the lives of everyone that's gathered here for worship this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.